Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Yes, sir! Championship edition! <laughs> I love it, yeah! You're a 2023 NBA Final Champion, Denver Nuggets. We got Adam Mades, DNBR, we got Matt Moore. Man, Matt, I can't wait to hear all these thoughts. I can't wait. And then we got Ryan Blackburn. Man, I'm trying to tell y'all, we have been waiting all year for this moment. We talked about this last offseason. What do the Denver Nuggets have to do to win a ring? And then they get it done. And matter of fact, y'all, it's just the second record straight. It wasn't their offense that got it done. It was elite defensive play started by the man in the middle. But that's a whole other discussion we're going to get to in a minute. <laughs> y'all, what's going on? How y'all feeling today? Man, Good, I'm man. feeling so much better now that I heard that introduction. Swiper got me. All those old feelings, they came rushing back. <laughs> Adam, Adam got drunk just from hearing that, actually. <laughs> Took him right back to being drunk for a solid week. Oh, man. We're, we're the Traveling Wilburys. Is that is that what this is? That I, is, baby. I, That's right. I, I had to do my research. I'm uh, I'm, I'm somebody on in that band. But no, we're, we're, we're hyped, man. It's It's been great. And, I mean, I thought that we were going to get a little bit of a rest here, but there ain't no rest for the wicked, guys. Right. Y'all, so we got a bunch to get into. We're going to talk about the parade. Talk about your favorite drunk moment of the parade. We're going to talk about the, our favorite highlight from the playoff series, all kind of stuff. But, y'all, we just got some very, very recent updates from Woj, Sham. The Denver Nuggets just made a trade with the Indiana Pacers, giving away their 2024 first-round pick. They get this year's 29th first-round pick, the second-round pick at the 32nd slot, and they still have the 37th overall pick in the second round as well. So, we're going to go to the expert, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Ryan Blackburn. Ryan, can you just give us your general ideas on the trade and then maybe even some of the players you think the Nuggets might be targeting right here? Yeah, so I, first and foremost, Denver had made a move previously during the finals that nobody talked about, uh, that it was they're trading for a 2024 first-round pick that they then basically used to move into the first round of this draft. They now have the 29th, the 32nd, and the 37th pick. They sent their 40th pick that they had previously had along with that 2024 first in order to 
go get that to Indiana. And it makes sense that they're doing that, I think, because they're trying to get cheap contributors for this upcoming season. They know how expensive this roster is going to be. Whether they can bring back Bruce Brown or not, they know that they're going to need to add a whole bunch of guys uh, in order to stay under that second apron tax threshold that I think everybody's talking about. So uh, that's that's something that you're going to have to worry about for sure if you're a Nuggets fan. But uh, the hope with this is that Calvin Booth, he's got something cooking. He's got a lot of options here where you can go veteran contributors or you could add some rookies in. And then I think Denver's had some success, obviously, with Christian Brown. They, they added Peyton Watson as a guy that they think could really be a contributor next year. But most important thing for Denver is that they, they could add a player like Jaime Jaquez Jr. from UCLA or Andre Jackson from UConn or City that, Sissoko. By the way, by the way, Jackson, that is the every year there's the guy that the entire fan base rallies behind. And that this year it's that guy. Now, it's not always the right guy. Jaden Springer no. was that guy, I believe, two years ago. Everybody wanted Jaden Springer. So um, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, but I whenever I ask anyone, that's like the number one guy they all mention. And it might yeah. be because they were planning on having the 40th pick only, you know, so maybe people were setting their sights a little lower. There, there's definitely a possibility. I mean, Jackson, he averaged six points a game. So, and he <laughs> did it on a, on a championship contender. So, or, or, or a, a uh, gosh, what is a, they won the title. The UConn won the title and he, he played there for three years and played a role. So maybe that's part of it, but could also get Julian Strother from from Gonzaga, who hit a big shot over UCLA in the in the tournament. Uh, Jordan Walsh is a name that people talk about as a versatile veteran wing big contributor who could play a small ball five role. Maybe there, there's a lot of guys that you could throw out there. Colby Jones is a guy that uh, my guy CT Fazio has at the top of his board from Xavier. There, there's players that they can go get. And especially in that 25 to 35 range that they now have two extra picks in, uh, they can definitely find some players that could contribute as soon as this year. You probably don't want to have to have those guys contribute, but that's what Calvin Booth is doing. So we'll, we'll see what they ultimately get, but that that's where, that's where their minds are at. Yeah. So I'm actually really excited about this. Um, there's a lot of potential um, with some things they can do around that range. And then maybe if they don't even keep all the picks, Ryan, like maybe there's some things they could do as well, but Matt, Adam, you know, beyond just the specifics about this year's draft, what, if you at all do like, what do you like about the direction the front office is taking as we enter into this iteration of the Nikola Jokic, Michael Malone, and Jamal Murray era of the Denver Nuggets? I'll go first on this one, Matt. The thing about it, we only have one offseason and one trade deadline of Calvin Booth. Like, we really we project a lot onto two data points about what kind of guy he is. This is the third data point that will give like, okay, now we can draw a straight line with some confidence to say, what, what is he doing? This is aggressive. The both moves are aggressive. And I think you look at it now and you say, okay, um, you know, last year, the guys that they went out and got and added to the team, the trade of KCP, even though at the time, it's funny to think now, but at the time, you know, there were people out there that said, oh, it's a salary dump or, oh, that's a lot to give up for KCP. In hindsight, no question it was the best move, but it was aggressive. Then you go to the trade deadline, got rid of Bones for almost nothing. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. They bring in Thomas Bryant. They do these things. But if you really just look at in a vacuum value, that was an aggressive move in that it was a belief that there was such a thing as addition by subtraction. And he was 100 percent right about it. 
Then today, and really the last two weeks between these two moves, one, Brian, you said nobody was talking about it. It was the NBA Finals. Yeah. Like, of course nobody right. was talking about it. Right. <laughs> it was a rare example of a team in the Finals making a trade. So that is hyper-aggressive. But I think it was, and I it, it gives us an idea that we can say with confidence now that Calvin Booth is not a guy, he, he is more like a Pat Riley, a guy that's not going to make these long-term, okay, well, let's throw, buy some lottery tickets, see what happened. No, he's a guy that thinks next year, we got to win next year. What gives us the best chance? And yes, you'll have an eye towards the future. I mean, picking up draft picks is also a long-term play, but it's very clear that the Nuggets, it was clear when they made the tra- trade during the finals. It was made clear when Michael Malone drunkenly declared all week long, we're going for a dynasty, not one. It is clear now with these moves that the Nuggets look at this and say, we're the best team. Nobody really seems close to us, and we need to make hay why the sun is shining. And that's what this trade, to me, represents. And to be honest with you, I don't know if it's the last move they make today and tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, it's funny the Heat comparison just because the Heat are notorious for basically not valuing picks and always moving them. Um, I get the, the the mindset, though, of like, you need to try and compete now. And that's the window that Denver's in. Like, once it becomes uh, that the case where it's not, I think – you know, Booth may approach things differently. Um, I think also a lot of this is the reality of the CBA. That that to me is like a big part of this. Is like when you have five hundred million dollars in the starting lineup, you're just going to lose a lot of your opportunity to build on the margins. And so you need to have a pipeline of guys. And this is honestly, instead of like maybe like modeling an approach for who is good at that, it's maybe better to look at who's failed at that. And Milwaukee, I think, is a good example of a team that's really failed at that. They've kept going to these veterans over and over and over again. And I think that Calvin understood the need for veterans this season. Um, And I'm sure some of those veterans will still be around next season. But over the course of time, if you want to compete, you have to have guys stepping into roles as other guys become less playable. Like Reggie Jackson was like technically in the rotation at the end of the regular season. And that clearly like wasn't the case. And you need more options. Like Denver got through this playoff run without significant injuries. And you're not, that's unlikely to occur again. You need to have guys that can step into those roles and play more. And with the new CBA, it's more important than ever, I think, to have those guys on cost controlled contracts that you can manage over time. So it's a really smart example of that. Now, I'll say this like, you got to be cautious because honestly, Golden State under a less restrictive CBA still took this approach in many years and we did the whole thing of like oh my god i can't believe that they got jordan bell that they got oh my god they let the warriors get jordan bell Bell. that is actually the that's a throwback man i forgot about that that was was an era (laughs) jordan bell was good for about two seconds though matt to be fair so and then and like bulls fans (laughs) were killing them killing them for giving up that pick so it's it's just kind of a reminder that um like when you're picking this late they're not all going to be hits and maybe that's a reason why you want more like Adam kind of tweeted that these are all in a cluster there between 25 and 40. And so like, you've got this like little range here of being able to, they can move up if they want to. I don't know how many, um, I don't know how many rotation guys are going to be available for that late of a pick in this draft. Um, But also the other thing I will say next year's draft is bad. (laughs) Like everyone's like, you want to get out of that draft. And so like, there's now that Adam's kind of shaking his head that could change entirely in a year. Like I I don't like to to project these things out because We'll think that it's a weak draft and it turns out great, et cetera. But also when people say weak, it usually means is the top player a star. And this year it's Wemby, who's like the most hyped prospect in 20 years. So it's a great draft. 
And next year, it might be a crappy top-heavy yeah. draft, but it might be one that has good players in the 20s. It's just yeah. people never talk about a good draft as in, oh, it's really good in the second round. I mean, specifically the guys that I'm, I would talk about in that in that context are the guys that only really care about the deep cuts. It's the draft obsessives. But again, who knows? But I do think that a lot of this just gets into like, how do you extend? How do you extend the lifeline? How do you make sure that you don't run into a situation like Milwaukee where you're like, man, they got like three dudes. Like, how do you avoid that? And the answer probably is managing the draft well. So I I love your point about Milwaukee, Matt, because I actually think if you look at the Nuggets this year, they split the difference. They went with three rookies, or actually we could say over the last two years, three young players when you go to um, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Colin who got hurt, and even Azik Naji, who's still a young player, and one of those guys played. It was Christian Brown. And then he went with three veterans, Ish Smith, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan, and one of those guys played. So he really brought in three rookies, three vets of the last two years, and one from each camp sort of played. And I kind of think it's going to be the same thing this year. I would be surprised if they use all three picks. I just – you don't want to get into the Tim Conley problem where you end up having your end of bench is like eight guys that are all projects. You probably want to consolidate that a little bit. But there is a chance that it's like, hey, you take two players there – you bring back one or two of the vets you have, you add one or two other vets, and you let them all fight it out knowing that you're probably going to get one young player, one one veteran there. And by the way, Peyton Watson, I think, should be considered a rookie this year because last year was a redshirt year for all intents and purposes. So not, I would be very surprised if Michael Malone tries to defend his NBA championship playing heavy minutes of Christian Brown, a second-year player, Peyton Watson, a first-year player, effectively, and another rookie, a first-year player. Three guys that are all two years of experience or less. I'd just be a little bit surprised by that, um, especially if that was the plan from day one. Yeah, there's yeah. there's just no doubt that they're going to mix and match. They they could also draft somebody and stash them with that other second-round pick that they have. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. It's all going to come back to Bruce Brown in in all likelihood, just whether they can – like really base it off of that and, and whether they could, they could add somebody there. They'll, if they don't get him, they'll probably add somebody with the taxpayer MLE. And I know we're going to talk about that, but they, they will have options. And most of that is like, most of what we're talking about though, is at the end of the bench. It's the, like they have the bulk of their rotation. They've got their five starters locked up. Christian Brown, you know, is going to be there. They're probably going to play Peyton Watson a little bit, but they'll probably also play either black or Zeke. And then th- those guys will have it. And, then they'll bring back a couple of guys that they already had. So it, what we're really talking about here is filling out spots nine through 12, basically with versatile players that you hope can really be added as, as swipe disappears. Uh, but we will just have to see whether they can do that or not. Oh. And I'm curious for swipe, uh, you know, Kamagate, everybody was hyping him up, but I was a little slow to hype him just because we hadn't seen him. And now he signs a two-year deal. Everybody kept saying next year Kamagate is going to come in and be the backup big. And now it looks like he might never come over. And if he does, it's clearly not going to be for a minute. I I kind of feel the same way about Peyton Watson. And I hate to say this because I really want him to work out. I like everything about what he represents. Can we really evaluate Peyton Watson right now no. with any kind of certainty? And I think everybody is penciling him in as like next year the bench is going to be Christian. It's going to be Peyton. It's going to and I'm like. Guys, we don't know, man. That's an unproven player, and you don't want to get into a situation where you just penciled him in, and it's like, hey, now it's an anchor. So I just pumped the brakes on Peyton Watson, even though I like him and believe in him. 
the belief is more <laughs> just that belief than it is knowledge at the moment because we haven't seen it. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think that there's been, and I kind of feel the same way about the draft stuff. Like, I don't want to be, um, how can I put this? I don't want to be the caricature that Adam Austin suggests that I am of like just being negative on, on moments of hype. But I am just kind of like, look, guys, this is still like the 29th pick. Like, the odds of this guy being a rotation guy are low. Like, there's a very, there's a much larger chance that he is not an NBA player than he is a rotation guy. There's a larger, chance that he's a rotation guy then like he never plays a single second in the nba because he's a first round pick but i do think that, that some of this gets into like the question of um uh, of of how to manage those expectations but like it's fine to be excited because the possibility is there and if calvin like if you think that like christian brown was obviously a hit if you think that peyton watson is a hit which is, it's it's fair i think to have some level of like well we'll see but still be like but the returns early were good and then be like, you know, he's proven two hits, two out of two. So, you know, if he hits three out of three, look how good this can be. Um, I tend to be like, well, there's a little bit more variance there, I think, included. But I think there's still a good chance of it being successful. Right. Well, I don't know what just happened, but apparently my camera decided to go off randomly. But whatever. Welcome back, y'all. <laughs> so we've done musical some... chairs here in, in, in terms of where we're actually sitting on the camera. So that's pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, I apologize, y'all. Um, but yeah, you know, I think what's interesting about this is what I do love, Adam. So this is Adam. This is back before uh, I was ever swipe. I was just a regular old person. Used to love watching DNVR and watching Ryan and hearing his podcast, watching Matt. You know, the Chiefs fan go off about stuff. And Adam, you used to say all the time that the Nuggets really were Jokic, just athletes, long athletes that can get to the rim, that can cut, that can play defense, and that have high IQs. And that seems to be the approach so far from Calvin. If you look at Ismail Kamagate, 6'11", great athlete, DPOY-level player uh, in Paris, obviously. Then you've got Peyton Watson at 6'7", great measurables, similar to Herb Jones. And then on top of that, you have Christian Brown. And it seems that we might be angling towards that again. So that's Calvin Booth's philosophy. And we're saying, look, we got Murray, we got MPJ, you got Gordon, and you got Jokic. Let's just put some defenders around them and see what they can do. So if that's what it is, I love it. That, well, that's what's funny is, you know, in years past, you know, under Tim Conley, I, there was a type, but there still was a variety to it where it's like, okay, who are they going to take? I almost feel like this year it's easier to predict because Cal, Cal clearly has a type that is a more narrowly defined type. Like they're not going to take Bull Bull, you know, the, the Bull Bull of this draft. They're not going to take the Bones Highland of this draft. You can just go ahead and mark those guys off the board because I would be shocked if they took that type of guy. To your point, they're going to be big, they're going to be athletic, and they're going to be guys that can that project to be good team players, you know, good role players or what have you. Um, so I think it, in in that way, this is again the why I would be surprised if they used all three picks. But nonetheless, I think you know the type of guy they're going to bring in. Also important to talk about just how smart the guys are that they're going to bring. Like you, you know that they have to pick things up quickly in this system. And that's one thing that they talked about. That's one thing actually that I think Cal talked about with you guys on the DNVR show about how smart Peyton Watson was and how he was mm -hmm. able to like bring things back and, and be able to like reiterate different things and scouting reports and whatnot. And Christian Brown obviously has plenty of experience. So uh, they, they, that's something that they're going to value. They want guys that can pick things up very quickly. Usually upperclassmen is probably going to be that. And I'm, I'm really hoping for, really hoping to see some interesting players that, that they can add in this draft, because I do think that there are enough guys 
that keeping things fresh and keeping things turning over is a really important aspect of, of any contender. And when you, when you let things get too stale, then it, it's less fun. So it was a great thing that they added DeAndre Jordan for that reason. It was a great thing that they added Peyton Watson and Christian Brown for that reason. So uh, lots of reasons, I think, to, to think that Denver will continue the same formula going forward. Um, and also, so there's some more updates. You know, we're going to get to Bruce Brown here in a second, but uh, Keith Smith just dropped uh, the NBA salary cap um, information as well. The cap is going to be uh, $136 million. The tax is going to be $165 million. First tax apron is going to be 172 And then the second tax apron is going to be 182.5. So two, $2 million higher in the cap, about $3 million higher on the tax and on the aprons and such. So Again, that's a big uh, deal. That's that's actually a big deal for Denver because they're. I didn't know if they would be able to afford both bringing back Bruce Brown and maybe also adding somebody else. But I, I think they honestly can. And they might have a little bit of flexibility to add Jeff Green uh, if if they want to give him more than the minimum now. Like that's that's something that they can talk about. But he would have been one of the guys. Jeff Green would have probably been one of the guys that that could be squeezed in in some of these other conversations of of bringing back the same cast of characters. So. That's important, and, and it's a small detail, but hopefully it gives Denver the added flexibility that they need. Let's talk Bruce right. Brown. Yeah. Yeah, so Bruce Brown, uh, he just declined his player option. Uh, he was projected to make about $6.8 million. Um, obviously, he deserves a lot more than that. Uh, they got him an original, a two-year deal with a player option on the second year for $13 million. Um, and so right now, the Denver Nuggets, if they are able to resign him, can offer him up to a $7.8 million extension for one year. Then he can have another player option attached to that. And then there's some more things uh, that can happen after that for the Bobby Portis S deal. But just general thoughts. Um, then, you know, Adam, you know, love to hear from you to start this and go to Ryan, go to Matt. But what do you think about the Bruce Brown situation? Obviously, we have comments from Coach Michael Malone at the parade. Bruce Brown has seemed to hint that he wants to come back. Um, what are your initial thoughts on this? You want me to go first? Um, I mean, I'm just with all with Bruce. I never thought he was coming back. So ne- the fact that there's even this chance of it, you know, maybe they do the one more deal and then try to do a longer term thing. Look, I love Bruce Brown. To me, he is an all time nugget. Like he gets to go down in lore as a guy we will always remember, despite the fact that he only played one year. If he re ups, he becomes even more of a legend, which is cool for us. But does it make sense for Bruce? Like, he's already a legend. What more is there needed to be accomplished here? Maybe running it back. So I kind of have always just counted him out. Um, but you know what? We'll just wait and see. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens. The phrasing, by the way, from Woj today, though, did send – like, Woj's phrasing is always is always interesting. It's almost as interesting to me as the tweets themselves because we all know Woj is an information trans, uh, transactor, right? So he's just sharing things. And the phrasing from him today was – as the Nuggets prepare for possibility of losing Bruce Brown in free agency, dot, 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 the trade. And I just read that and I go, that didn't come from Loge, I don't think. I mean, maybe that's part of his, like, interpreting, okay, they're expecting him to walk or to, to go away. So that's the only detail of that that I find interesting. Right. Yeah, the, the math on this is basically – Anybody can can offer Bruce Brown twelve point two million for the the MLE if they're not a tax paying team, uh, twelve point two, and then and then having three guaranteed years beyond that gets you to about fifty two fifty four million uh, of guaranteed money that Bruce Brown would be leaving on the table if he were to come back to Denver and and if if he signs for a seven point seven seven point eight million 
contract for one year, then he runs the risk of uh, sustaining a major injury, not getting the payday that he hopes for. He hasn't made a ton of money in his career as of yet. And this is a big chance for him that he would be taking if he, if he didn't come back or if he, if he did. And there, there's a lot, I think that the nuggets, they it's wishful thinking to want Bruce Brown back because he'd be taking so much less money than he actually deserves that then he would probably be getting offered on the table. The other thing though, is that maybe teams don't offer him. Maybe this is a situation <laughs> where they, they actually don't kind of, kind of like what he was talking about last year. I, I sort of think that that's, talking out of the other side of his mouth on that one. But I do think that maybe there's a chance that the teams that he's getting offers from like a San Antonio or a Houston or a Charlotte or teams like that, that are offering him actual money. Maybe those teams are just teams that he doesn't want to, like he has no chance to compete for a championship for. So we'll, we'll see what his priorities are and, and whether he is willing to put that risk up. But if I were him, I would not, I would sign the guaranteed contract. I just don't think we should have expectations either way. I think that's the biggest thing. I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you should not be like, but he said he was coming back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. And you know, somebody was like, but he's not going to have lied to 750,000 to us. Yeah. Well, guess what? He's uh, set, set to make about seven times what your money, if you put $7 per person of that, that's what it probably matters a little bit more. Also, also he never lied. He just asked, yeah. should I come back? Should I come back? Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing here is, oh, so there's two things about this. One, the numbers I'm hearing for some of these guys are predictably pretty wild. Like the number that's being asked, and he may not get this, but like Kyle Kuzma is targeting 30. That's what he's targeting per year, right? Um, on the other side of that, I have asked around and haven't heard anything on Bruce Brown. There is not like a, yeah, no, like this team's interested. Like they've already put this number out. Like I have some things that have been offered on the table for various guys that I can't like talk about because I haven't nailed it down firm enough. But like those numbers are out there floating in the ether and Bruce Brown is not one of them. And so if, if and I'll say perception is a big part of this. If you're just like, well, I think he's going back to, to Denver. So why are we going to waste time on pursuing him if we're just going to get screwed by him coming back? Like, that does wind up impacting guys' decisions. Like that will wind up. Some front offices are just like, I'm not gonna, like I'm not gonna waste my time. It's different when it's a restricted free agent, like it is with Austin Reeves, where teams are just like, we're not gonna waste our time. Like Austin Reeves is gonna go back to the Lakers on a ridiculous number because everyone is just like, I'm not gonna waste my time putting it. Like I'm not gonna tie up my cap space for three days with an offer sheet just for the Lakers to match because they have to. That's why. I, I think the more interesting question though is. Can the Nuggets win it without him? I mean, I, that seems like an obvious yes, just because you could replace him. But like how much harder, I should say, how much harder does it make it to win without him? And do you feel like they can replace him in free agency slash the draft? Well, so I'll say this. I think one thing um, is, yeah, obviously they can. But I think of Bruce, like similar to how the Warriors function with Iguodala with Sean Livingston, maybe more Sean Livingston. I just think Sean added such a dynamic part of their offense and their defense to everything they did. I mean, they had a six foot seven point guard, Adam, where they could put on the court at any point in time. Those pull up twos, mid range relief, the post up game was lethal. But defensively, when they had him and Clay and Draymond and everybody on the court, they just became a force. So I think Bruce could fit in a similar prototype. But for Bruce's sake, I hope he gets as much money as he can. Obviously, this is a very short window for his career. Um, honestly, I would love to see him play next to, like, again, non-Nuggets fan 
for like the Pacers next to like Halliburton or something like that. Like just like being in a situation where he can help a team that's kind of come on the up and up play really well. Like I think he'd be great there. Um, but I think the thing is, and the question I ask myself, Adam, is could Bobby Portis had a very similar trajectory. And obviously you're very aware of that. He took two basically very small deals, took an MLE, and then rescinded the second on the second year on the third year he could have been with the Bucks, and then re-signed that four-year deal. Then I think he got like 52 or something at that point in time. So um, ostensibly, Bruce could have a four-year extension after this year if he takes it, which would then bring um, Ryan, if he took this year and then signed a four-year, the most he could make is approximately like $62 million over the course of a five-year period, roughly. So that's a, still a very good chunk of change. Now, you got to imagine there would be some, you know, behind-the-scenes uh, handshaking that would have to happen for that to, to take place, but... I mean, how much is winning? He said that money is not the most important thing. And if the Nuggets can situate him to make a lot of money, be in a great environment. And again, you, Adam, you talked about this. When he left the Nets and he came to Denver, one of the things he highlighted was the culture, just the team. Like he enjoys being in Denver. So again, I don't have expectations that he will resign. I can definitely see a path that he does. But, you know, ultimately the Denver Nuggets can win. But you know, I think there are some options out there, but I can't say any of them are going to be as good as Bruce might be, at least, you know, uh, ideally. Point, like the biggest point being is that he could either lock in the guaranteed money now and, and save the the hemming and hawing and like the Bobby Portis deal, especially like, I think it was kind of criticized when when it actually came <laughs> out that the four-year MLE deal that they basically signed him to uh, because he, he was... Now, it wasn't perfect. It certainly wasn't perfect on that front. Um, if Denver sees Bruce have a major injury for somebody who is athletic, as athletic as he is, and then he decides, uh, then you're like, okay, you're you're put in a really tough position. Do we follow through on this promise that we made, or and and do something that's worse for our team, or do we uh, like go back on that promise and 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 make a big issue about it? Right. So. These these things are these things are messy. They're they're gross, and and I I think that one of the reasons why Bruce might avoid this altogether and just get that guaranteed money is to not be put into that position just right. in case something were to happen. Yeah, I mean, look, my, my thing is just like, don't make Calvin, don't put Calvin in a position to hurt you. Yeah, like that's that would be my thing. It's just like Calvin's got a responsibility to the organization, and this is a cutthroat business. Mm-hmm. There's twenty, there's thirty of these teams. And you're competing with 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 30 other teams and every dollar counts and every advantage counts. And this is why teams obsess over trying to gain any advantage that they can because of how hyper competitive it is. And goodwill, I think, is always like it's a better way to approach business, but there are limits. And I just think that, like, if you have the opportunity, it's very important, especially with where he's at in his career age wise. Like yeah. there are only so many opportunities more to get a big money contract. So this is all shoulds. Like it's up to Bruce. Bruce gets to make that decision. We'll see what he does. Um, I think Adam asked a question about how much it impacts them. Somebody said in the chat, 10%. That probably is about accurate. Like it gets about like 10 to 15% harder for them to repeat. If Bruce is gone, you lose ball handling. You lose, you lose deep. You lose like 5%. You no, I said like, 16 and five. 10, uh, 10%, 10% moves it from four losses to five losses. Sure. And um, so, so, <laughs> What? 
Matt, Matt, Matt wants no fun. Wants none of the fun. It was no, really, I, I, it was really, really cool. Now, now we get to talk about celebrating the championship and how they went sixteen and frickin' four, and now I think that's why well, it's actually a really pretty interesting question, right? Because we're like, I, I think it's a, it's a completely valid point, but like they went sixteen and four, which is a dominant run, and the argument made from other fan bases that are hurt because their team didn't lose, like that's that's the biggest part of it, is like how close some of those margins were in some of those games. So, like, a fair question is like, okay, if they had tight games that they won dominant that they won dominantly in terms of record, and you lose Bruce, what do those margins look like? Right. Yeah, there's no doubt, and like Bruce, Bruce made big plays in the in the last game of the of the actual yeah. season. Like, it was a yeah. really big deal. Uh, so it's going to be tough to replace, but Denver can do it. Uh, it, it's not fully like the Jonathan Simmons, San Antonio Spurs situation that I, I remember very vividly of like, Hey, you, you're just going to commit to the the guys that you have. Like Bruce is way better than him and, and way Didn't more he get valuable 20 mil? to Denver. Uh, Simmons, it, it wasn't, it was like a three year, $27 million contract or something like that. But uh, mo- like the most important thing is Denver right. can do it. It will be harder, like you're talking about. And I think Denver's preparing for that. And that's one of the reasons why they've made as many trades as they have of late. That's enough for the uh, non-fun uh, section of the, of the whole show. But, y'all, um, again, just a reminder, it's been a long time. Denver Nuggets won the NBA championship. Um, and they just had a parade last week as well. And, y'all, they did it, as you all said. They went 16-4, and which is one of the best records in the last 30 years uh, of the NBA as well. And also, I think on the last five teams that have done it, uh, like the Warriors, the San Antonio Spurs, um, and then obviously you had, I think the, the heat might've done that one time. Can't remember. They all had uh, top 10 all time NBA players, which is a whole nother discussion. I imagine we'll get into over the next couple of years, but yeah, I mean, really just like, what are just some of your favorite moments from this playoff run as you've looked back and they played versus the wolves versus the Suns versus the Lakers in the closest sweep in NBA history and versus the Miami heat. What are some of your favorite moments or favorite series that you got to see over the run? I mean, I'll, I'll start with the obvious one. Two 30-point triple-doubles in the same game. I mean, it's just an absolute absurdity. Um, the, the joy of this play, there's, there's many joys. This was a very joyful experience for the Nuggets. In fact, I don't know that it could have been more joyful. If you think about I don't know that there was a timeline for this season that was brighter than the one we got when you consider every box that could have been checked got checked. Literally every single one of them. They can run the gauntlet for the next couple of years. We won't have a, a, a playoffs as this rewarding where it's just like, wow, we get to take every victory possible. But one of them that I like from a basketball standpoint and why maybe the thing we were right about that that is the coolest is that the playoffs really are about what do you do well, what can teams take away from you, and then how what's left once all those things are taken away. The Nuggets, teams guarded them different in every single game. Every series, it was like, all right, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try this. Nothing worked. They just went through four rounds of the playoffs, and nothing worked. And that game where both of them had 30-point triple doubles was a lot of 
okay, we can't stop Jokic, but we have a plan to take away their shooters. We're not going to let the ball get popping, and we think we can bother Murray. And they did in game two. But you come back, you know, you, you some things adjust, and by the time – was it game four, the 230-point triple-double? Was it game three? Game three. Game three. Yeah, three. So you come back in game three, Murray clearly solves what was ailing them, but they still think, well, let's make sure – let's just contain it to those two. And those two put up an offensive clinic for the ages – to stop a defense that was dead set on trying to stop them. To me, that's what's so cool. They solved every equation and didn't just solve it. They solved it to historic proportions. Mm. I'll, uh, I'll start. I have a couple of, of moments I'm really going to remember. I think for me, uh, Jamal Murray's we're ready for this in game one of the Suns. Mm. That's like, I think that's maybe the number one thing that I'm going to remember just from the emotion of Jamal <laughs> The declaration on that stage, you remember the tweets coming into that game, like Mark Spears, who used to cover the Nuggets, being like, yeah, we'll find out there for real or not. And like the Nuggets evaporating that team in game one and everyone went like everyone in like that I follow online was like, oh, shit, the Nuggets are for real. Like that was the moment that everyone went like, oh, okay, like they are way better than than we kind of thought Um, and being that ready for that moment. And to have blitzed them like that and the emotion that Jamal let out in that moment and for him to like all like the 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 amount of just intensity and the arena also, which that was a big thing for me this season, was how great ball arena was, was like that was just a it was an entirely different level than I've ever seen it. And that to me was was one of the apex moments was their reaction when Jamal hits that three and him screaming, We're we're ready for this. Um the other one for me for me is the the Sambor shuffle over Davis. Uh, the Mike brain, the Mike brain, bang, Jokic, like that kind of moment to remember. And the level, because the, the one that he hit when the clock was running down, like Davis's look back at him. Okay. But yeah, if you go back and watch the Sambor step back in four, Davis's look at him just like, will you please stop taking my soul? Like I'm asking you, please. Like the level of helplessness that Anthony Davis felt, in that moment, I think was was really incredible. Um, and then that's going to be the iconic moment, by the way. I think in 20 years, whenever you ask whoever will remember this run outside of Denver, that'll be the thing they'll say. They'll be like, I just remember Yoke hitting a shot yeah. at the buzzer. And it was a clincher. That was a serious clincher. Um, yeah. The appreciation for AG, for AG in game three, for how well he played, or in game four, I'm sorry, for how well he played in that, in that game with, with 27 points to see him up on, on the podium and to have that moment in the sun for everyone appreciating his contributions. And then uh, in the locker room, seeing Jeff Green, Ish Smith, and DeAndre Jordan taking pictures with Larry O'Brien together, spraying each other with champagne. Those are the those are the moments that I think I will remember most from this run. I think here I'm going to do my Ben Gulliver impression here. I, I think you guys are missing like the easiest option. Game seven, Celtics, Sixers, had an opportunity to put it away and then have this massive opportunity for, for Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP, to really step up and, and, and put on a show on the national stage to defile all the narratives and just do it. No, I think the juxtaposition between how Nikola Jokic handled the pressure this year and how everybody else seemed to handle the pressure this year, there was no player alive that could do what Nikola Jokic just did. And, and the way that he rose to the occasion consistently, game after game after game, he didn't have a bad game 
in these playoffs. And so much, like I think you could point to every single other great player, especially in the modern era, and talk about how they had their down moments. And Jokic has had his down moments in the playoffs before. But in this playoff run, this was the absolute best that we've ever seen him. And the level that he got to consistently game after game after game and delivering in these clutch moments was so, so important. Uh, that's one that I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember game two, Matt, actually, where they allow 87 points to the Phoenix Suns in the second round. As the, That was a Christian Brown game. That was a Jeff Green game. That was an Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown and KCP game where offense doesn't work for Denver. Offense wasn't going to get it done. They had to get it done defensively. And then in game five against Miami, you could say the exact same thing where it was defense, it was the crowd, it was grittiness, and it was this toughness that the veterans brought that it didn't just include uh, the, the flashy offense that I think the Nuggets had developed a reputation as. They had to get gritty, they had to get tough, and they absolutely did that and were the toughest team by far in the playoffs this year and in the NBA this year. It was very, very impressive to see. Well... My uh, favorite moment from the uh, Denver Nuggets playoff run. Um, let's list. Uh, the first one is Jokic destroys all narratives. That was a great one. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a moment. That was a series of moments. I think there was 20 there games. That was 20 yeah. moments. I think you've right. already broken the rules on this swipe. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. I think one of the best ones for sure, um, and I saw Adam talk about this, game for – of the finals, Jokic's defense that entire game was maybe the best I've ever seen. Like, better than I ever thought he could do. I mean, he yeah. legitimately was – I think he had – that was the game where he had uh, – what 11 reflections. Yeah, 23, 12, and 4. And they said, you joined uh, Tim Duncan. And, and, and uh, I think it was uh, LeBron and uh, I think it was Kevin Durant for one of the greatest stat lines ever. He said, 23 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists. And like, well, well, three blocks, three steals. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. – what he did to Bam Adebayo that entire series on both ends was just like was incredible, and um, I love that Jamal Murray was able to to put away all the allegations uh, the entire run, but especially that Lakers series, thirty two and a half points per game on 50-40-90 in the Western Conference Finals. That's incredible. That's incredible. Then they had Bando, they had Dennis Schroeder, they had all these defenders, and they said, you know, he's not going to do what he did to the Suns. He but, outdid. That's why, hold on, on that point, because this is the thing is they didn't just win, you know, the, the the narratives. But halfway through the playoffs, people just accepted that Jamal Murray was the greatest non-all-star in the history of the NBA. That's right. not like a, oh, he's playing a little better than we thought. It's, oh, my God, he's so good that we're only halfway through the playoffs and we've already destroyed our own narratives about him and are rewriting them. That's, that's what was so crazy about this run. Adam, Adam, he had 53 points in three quarters between the fourth mm -hmm. quarter of game two and then the first half of game three. 53 it was a wrap. points. It was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> like, it's obviously extremely rewarding for me, but like, I think Nuggets fans that's that stuck by Jamal, even when the, the torn ACL happened and you see a couple of playoff runs go down the drain for that exact reason. The actual reward was being able to see him deliver on the biggest stage and having that vindication, knowing that that was something that could have happened. But because you had to wait for it, it was that much sweeter 
and, and being able to do it with your guys, even if they went through trials and tribulations, was it was as as sweet as nectar of the gods. Right. And then another one, because, um, you know, Matt brought up AG. Going into the Sun series, a majority of people had picked the Suns because of their pull-up shooting and pick and roll and all this other stuff. Aaron Gordon held Kevin Durant to 38% as the closest defender over the course of that entire run. In six games, 38%. Aaron Gordon went through Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, who had his two, had a good series versus him, and then Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and then LeBron, and then Jimmy Butler. Remember when he signed that deal, that four-year, $92 million extension? People said he was overpaid. He's an overrated defender. He became one of the best two-way players in the NBA over the course of one run and completely solidified himself as a stopper when it mattered most. And so I think Aaron Gordon's presence and even his post-game conferences, what he was saying about Murray, what he was saying about Jokic, what he was saying about the culture, the love that he got from the city, him walking through the streets in his game-worn NBA final jerseys <laughs> in, Atlanta, in, in, in Denver, man. It was just great. Like, I just think the idea of the Nuggets – not just being embraced by the city, but everybody on the team seemed to embrace the city of Denver. Watching yeah. Jokic at the parade, Stay I'm effing glad that I'm here. Like, <laughs> all that stuff. And then, obviously, just everybody, man. And Michael Malone, I'll, I'll just I'll wrap it up here. Michael Malone being the fourth longest tenured NBA coach and then coming away with a dominant coaching performance in all four rounds. Matt, Why are the people in the back? <laughs> remember Matt, when you said that if he didn't make an NBA final there's a chance he could get fired yes. well not only did he beat those allegations he outcoached Monty Williams he outcoached Darvin Ham and then he went down and he outcoached Eric Spolstra in the NBA final and then and then talked about it and then talked about it afterwards so like Got that tattoo to solidify it man facts man yeah Michael Malone is he's he's full stop this is the best team in Denver Nuggets history and it's been it's solidified which is great I love this one. Somebody brought up, though, I just have to bring it up. Jokic's game one versus the Lakers. Oh, man. Jeez. People are going to forget this, but going into that series, it was billed as the best defensive big versus the offensive big. And by halftime, it was like, (laughs) throw the towel! Throw the towel! That was the game where, I mean, people were, Jokic's Phoenix series was just an all-timer, but there was like one caveat left, and it didn't even make it a half before everyone was like, okay, the caveats are all gone. Nobody mm-hmm. can guard him. I mean, look, I have strong feelings about Anthony Davis. No. I had strong feelings about Anthony Davis. They were all validated by that series. Like, Jokic in that series, they, there should be, like, an emergency vote for the NBA Top 75 to get him out and put Joker in because of that series. Like, yeah. it was an annihilation. And in AD's defense, like, that's as good as you can do. Because mm. he's in the top uh, 75. Like, that's like, it's, it's pretty clear, like, what is and what isn't. And, and just, I remember, like, Nick, Nick Wright, he, he was, he was mad at me for, for even like considering the idea that the NBA would be making a mistake by not putting Jokic on the top 75 just a couple of years ago. But, and but, look at how funny that is now. For the guys here, like it's really validating. Like it's this was a very extreme, like extremely validating run for the four of us in particular. Like Adams, Adams' belief in what Jokic could be was all proven accurate. Like it was just proven out. Like everything Adam has said about him 
offensively, defensively, impact, efficiency, all of it. Best player in the league, all of it. Jamal, Ryan's longstanding belief in Jamal through absolutely everything was validated. Swipe us talk about the defense, about what it was capable of. It all came to fruition. And my belief that Jeff Green would hit a single three-pointer in a key playoff game was validated. And so, you know, no. Mine would, mine would be the Malone talk that, like... Matt, did you see the, the meme of Frodo putting the ring finally into into the mountain? That's what I felt from you when Jeff Green hit that shot in game five, by the way. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> it's done. Um, so, yeah, like, I think, like, it was just, it was this, and this why I've been, like, very keyed on, like, just enjoy this moment and don't get wrapped up in the Dynasty talk, which we should talk about now, is that I'm just of the belief, I'm like, Look, you may win other championships, but they're not going to be as sweet as this one. They're not going to be as validating as this one. They're not going to be as rewarding for this one. They might. How would they possibly be better than this, Mares? How would it be better know, than this? Just, I'm just saying they're the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm with you. I said that earlier that I don't think they'll ever be able to top this. But at the same time, man, I don't know. I look forward to having uh, the question as to which of my like. Which of my fingers with the, the rings on them is going to be the most fun? It's going to be the most enjoyable. Yeah, baby. Um, and then to close off this section, and we'll get into the dynasty. Um, for you all, what do you make of? <laughs> I phrased that really funny. By the way, possible dynasty. Uh, what do you all make of Jokic's and Jamal Murray's ascension since that this whole thing has kind of ended? I mean, look, I think the 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 fact that where Jamal is on the ringer list talks about it. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'll be honest. I don't know what to expect from Jamal going forward. Like, I just don't, I don't know no. if he returns, if he goes back to regular season Jamal and then just does this again in the playoffs. Like we are starting, I will say this, we're starting to see more of the 16 game guys have a little bit more of a pattern than we used to, where I think Jimmy's another example of this, honestly, when he's fully healthy of guys that like are like, they're good in the regular season. And you get to the playoffs and you're like that dude. Right. I think Jamal is on that list. Like there are 16 game players and there are 82 game players and Jamal's a 16 gamer and you're always going to prefer those. Cause there's a lot of guys that even if you can win with them in the 16 games, it makes it a lot harder. Jamal makes your chances better in 16 games. And so I think that like, that's going to be an interesting thing to kind of consider. I mean, look, Nicola, I, everyone, everyone has said that he's definitively the best player in the league. Like everyone says that except for Mark Jones, like every, even Nick Wright crowned him. He's there. No, Nick Wright did not. Rick, Rick, no, Rick he did. Like I, the, there's a first aid clip of him being like, yes, now he is there. He was like, you have to, you have to win the championship, but once you do it, you're the guy. So he said that he's there. So even Nick Wright did. Um, there is a lot of conversation about this being an all-time dominant run. One of the greatest we've ever seen. Cause it was, and there's a lot of conversation about him being an all-time great uh two two mvps a championship and a finals mvp you cannot get more certified than that you just can't you can't get more certified than two than multiple mvps a championship and a finals mvp one of nine players ever so uh i i don't know i don't have the ability to put much more perspective on nicola like i don't know what else to say well there's one more matt there's one you're missing that's actually the funniest one of them all What's that? And that is defensive player of the year. Well, that part, the defense, I will say people have come around on the defense. I, 
You know the narrative? This is the concession. It's actually as good as I can get. I can't remember who I heard it for, so I apologize if a main podcaster, but somebody said he does the best that he, given his tools, meaning he's the best defender he can be. You know, it's just now it, it, his athleticism maybe limits him, which is a real concession because it's like, hey, we're no longer saying he's a bad defender. It's just like, okay, there's limitations to what any person given his body could do or whatever, which is to me, I'm like, all right, whatever. That sounds like a fair enough concession. But the funny one to me is this one. Nobody cares about the Nuggets. Nobody likes watching Jokic. They're all boring. That to me is the funniest narrative to fall because people fell in love with this team during this run. And I have a feeling that the NBA is looking at all of their metrics and across social and views and everything else and going, wait, is this team fun? Hold on a second. Is this, is this actually like a marquee team? We screwed up. Wow. They win every year. They dunk a lot. They make cool shots. They make great passes. Like it's, it's, it should be a pretty straightforward thing. Jokic is, he's going to, like you say it all the time. He does something that makes you laugh every single day, like every single game that's, that's going to happen. So that's a, that's a fun one. I, I do think like, look uh, back to the duo talk. I called them Kobe and Shaq back in 2019. Like that happened. Uh, whether it was actually going to be that or whether they were going to be, um, whether they're going to be that level. I, I don't think that Jamal is on Kobe's level and he may never get to that point. But when you talk about the actual guys that can bring that level of competitiveness as a second option, like there's, there's just about like nobody else in the NBA that can do what he just did. And to do it with Nicola and to make an all-time great duo, that's cool. Like, that's just objectively a cool part of NBA history that people are going to remember for a long, long time. And, Ryan, to your point, you know how crazy it is. Now people are asking – because now some people are trying to denigrate Joker by Jamal, but that to me just speaks to how great Jamal was. That when's the last time a second option was averaging 26, 7 assists, and five rebounds on a run, making the shot that he was doing 32 and a half points in the Western Conference Finals and all that stuff. For me, watching Jamal go from he was a bubble merchant and a fraud to now Jason Temp, top 15-ish player in the NBA, that is asinine to me. And I think that just speaks to the dilemma that Jamal Murray put everybody in over the course of this run that even if you try to single cover me, I'm going to cook you. You double team me, I'm going to cook you. One of, what, four players now? Four players to average 20 and 10 in the NBA Finals? Or no, three players and four out four different tries. That's crazy. Jamal went from an elite scorer in a playoff, went to an elite playmaker. Go ahead, Ryan. By the way, those guys are LeBron James, Magic Johnson, and Michael Jordan is, is what we're talking about here. Right. Those were the three players that you're talking about that did that in a Finals. Right. So just incredible. And then now everybody, you know, Chris Broussard. I mean, people I respect. You know the conversation they're having about Joker. Top 15? Top oh, 20 yeah. at the yeah. least? Yeah. Like, no, they're Nick saying. Wright, Nick Wright's the one that has him the lowest still, which I just love. Right. I just love it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he just put him on his uh, last 50 years, uh, put him at 20, uh, where he had Luka Doncic at, because he was projecting, by the way. That's a whole other story, though. But – Again, even now, like people are saying, is Jokic going to end up his career like how many years before he overtakes Kevin Durant all the time? That's the conversation he's moved in. And Kevin Durant I mean, is well, one. But Kevin Durant, I'm saying Kevin Durant is considered a top 14, top 12 player ever. So one more year from Joker, they're basically like, 
Yeah, no way, no way Jokic would have won championships with the uh, 2017 Warriors. No way he would have pulled that off. Yeah, so all that, and then even they're asking, when's the last time you've seen a run this dominant? They said 2018 LeBron, 2000 Shaq, Curry didn't have a year like this, Durant didn't have a year like this. They're putting up up there saying him and Akeem in 95, him and Michael Jordan in 92. This is where he's entered, which just goes to show you that averaging 30, 13, and nine and a half over the course of a playoff run versus a bunch of top 75 players and all-stars and all NBAs is quite impressive. So... Um, they're just solidified, and I just think as the year goes on, and we're going to talk about this now, y'all, let me know what y'all think. Is there a dynasty on the table, which is three or more typically in NBA history? Do you think there's a dynasty potentially on the table for the Denver Nuggets? Again, let me tell you, Jokic is 28, Gordon's 27, Murray's 26, Porter's 24. Matt? No. You don't think there's a chance they have a dynasty? I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I think the yeah. conversation is one that you should have once you get the two. Oh, I think. Sure. I think. Okay. Like I my think. thing is that my thing is just that I've seen so many great teams that I really believed in never make it, and making it there changes the equation. Like you get there once, it actually is. It's harder to repeat, but it's easier to get back there in two years, in three years, in four years. Your guys know what it takes now. Like you understand how to do it. You're no longer intimidated by going. Like I remember one of my funny, the one of my favorite things for this was the talk about. Well, now, now the Nuggets have got to go into L.A. They've got to go into crypto. Right. Title town. Oh no. <laughs> oh, they're gonna get clapped at by people with too much plastic surgery. Oh, oh, no. oh man. Wow. Oh, man. Like, get out of here. The Nuggets have gone to Portland for playoff games. The Nuggets have gone to San Antonio for playoff games. Matt just left, turned it up to eleven. <laughs> yeah. So Look, the Nuggets can do this again, and I understand the classic Matt thing, but I will like my thing is I think you should enjoy this now. And I think when you start talking about projecting, it it for me it kind of takes away from enjoying this moment. I I get why it's fun to be excited about it. I know, Mares, because you're feeling yourself as much as any. No, I'm just saying it doesn't take away from it at all. My my take is if they only win one. If this is the only one they win, I'm going to get more mileage out of it than Doc Rivers in the 2008 Celtics. Yeah. This this one to me already counts for three because you lost yeah. two years of Murray. So it's already yeah. a dynasty. You hear what Zach Lowe said, Adam. You said they might have won one already. <laughs> by the point. Oh, I love this. Matt says it how it is. No, I mean, he, you're you're 100% right, though, about and, – and I really give Michael Malone credit because I do think there can be a – you're a dog chasing cars, and then once you catch it, you know – what do you do now? I've always wanted the Nuggets to win an NBA championship. The era is not over and they already have it. So I think there can be this empty sense of, well, we did the thing we were trying to do. Now what? And I love that Michael Malone immediately said, let's run it back. And he did use the word dynasty one time when he was talking about Pat Riley's quote yeah. about the steps you take to get there. And then he ended it with dynasty. But what I appreciate about Michael Malone is what Matt Moore is doing right now, which was saying, just run it back. Stop there. Don't worry about it. Like, 
take everything one step at a time because you don't want to live too far in the future. You just want to live right now, which is, yes, enjoying the moment. But I think Nuggets fans have enjoyed the moment, man. It's been very enjoyable. For sure. But also I, this idea of like, you know what, though? Look at the roster. Everybody's coming back except for maybe not Bruce. Why not build off of this? And, I, and that's the coolest part of this. Whole yeah, thing. I mean, look, I think I think I want to be clear. So, like, there are a number of ways in which, like, there's one-offs. So, like, the Mavericks, they destructed that team after they yeah. won. They traded Tyson Chandler for no reason. Yeah, like, Cuban, Cuban melted down that team trying to be do a galaxy brain type thing. And Actually, the last three, game. right? Uh, not not the Bucks, but before that, you've got um, you've got the Lakers who ended up making the trade the next year, right? Mm-hmm. So they immediately broke up their team. You had the Raptors that immediately broke up their team, and even before that, you had the Warriors that had lost Clay in the playoffs and then lost Kevin Durant to free agency. So three of the last four, they ended in a way that was like, okay, there's no point in even coming back. Yeah. What I will say though is that the Bucks are actually a great example of putting the cart before the horse when it comes to a dynasty where they just have Chris Middleton get injured or they just have Giannis right. get injured yeah. in, in right. the year after. And like, or they, did, they, just, they just didn't play the Atlanta Hawks again in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> yeah, and that, that <laughs> sort of age. helps as well. <laughs> I love it. Bring uh, it. Bring and it. The age, they did, they, did, they did beat some good teams. Uh, and the age thing too here matters too, where like yeah. the Nuggets are younger, so they do have a wider window. One thing to me is like the Spurs comp, the Spurs comps have been kind of in play. They are like that Spurs dynasty for 20 years. They were in contention, like from 1999 until 2017. In many ways, more impressive. That team had a chance at a championship every single year. And the Nuggets stretch won't be that long. But like, if you told me that they won three and six, three and five, three and eight, that would make sense to me. Like, I'd be like, yeah, that, that kind of tracks. Versus like when we talk about dynasty, we talk about the idea of like these three peats or three out of five and like those types of things. I think there's a capacity for them to be a dynasty in terms of winning titles over an extended period of time because of the front office, because of how great Yoke is and all these things. But I also am just like, look, bad, bad stuff's going to happen. Like that, that's just part of the NBA life is you're going to have years where the bad stuff happens and you need to be able to plan for that. I think a key is how the Nuggets respond to that as a group between AG and well, the last thing is the CBA is structured against this. Like the league has built a, a collective bargaining structure to prevent good teams with lots of talent at the top from being able to stay together. So there's a lot of ways you can go sideways. I'm not going to sit here and say like, it can't happen when I said, no, it's like more of that is I should have said, I don't, I don't expect or think the dynasty is likely but I think multiple titles is likely. Well, I think the only one with a similar proxy to the Nuggets, though, would be the Chicago Bulls. Because remember, they got they had Pippen and Jordan. They drafted. Then they got Ron Harper. They went from Horse Grant. Then they got, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Dennis Rodman. And then, obviously, Steve Kerr, John Paxson. But they had the players, the two players that were set in that made it a repeat process over an eight-year period, basically, with Jordan and Pippen. Then you get to the Spurs. It's a 20-year period. But then again, David Robinson gets hurt. They draft Tim Duncan and walk into another championship versus the New York Knicks in a shortened NBA year. And then obviously after that, they dominate. But then even LeBron, like that dynasty, you know, went to multiple teams to do it. And then the Warriors got Kevin Durant. Right after they won one, they got smoked by LeBron, came chasing back 3-1, and then they get Kevin Durant. And then Man, are just- the Warriors a dynasty? 
Are you a dynasty truther where it's got to be the three in a row or three of four or something like that? I think they're they're three I, I think they're a dynasty because even though they didn't win the 16, like I think that's a, that's another thing about it is I actually think I'm less of a truther because I'm also like, look, if you if you win multiple titles and you have multiple years where you had like a real shot and you won 55 plus games, like that 2016 team, it goes down as one of the biggest failures ever. They also won the most games in NBA yeah, history. You're right. So it's like, if you take the, the, the total span of 2015 to 2022, four titles, yeah, I think they're a dynasty. I agree with that, by the way. Like, that's just, that's, you're always looking up at that team. And I think the great thing about where the Nuggets are right now is there's, there's a lot of teams that are looking up at the Nuggets and think, oh crap, like that could be, that could be something. It, I, I think it has a little bit of a different feel than maybe the Lakers or the, or the Bucks or even the Warriors this last year. Like, I, I think it has a little bit of a different feel than some of those teams where it just, it was a pretty, pretty weird time in the NBA. Denver, for the first time, like, I, I think they're one of those teams that a lot of other groups could say, yeah, they're going to be around for a long time. Well, now people are talking about Ryan, like, you need more bigs. Everybody's saying now, like, you need to, if you're going to go to the Western Conference, you need to have multiple bigs on the roster to deal with Joker. And so it's all having this, this Jack effect, right, in the 2000s. So, you know, we'll see. Um I, I do think that situationally they're in the best place of any team that's been in the last couple of years. Again, I think the Bucks run was really good, but again, granted, you know, James Harden and them and Kyrie got hurt in the second round and then they played against Trey Young and obviously then they went against the Suns team and, you know, and then they obviously had an older roster and then Chris Middleton got hurt and then Giannis had some offensive lapses that kind of cost him and they ended the you know, second round in the seven game series versus the Celtics and, and obviously, Steph Curry and that roster got older. Draymond into punching Jordan Poole. So, yeah, there's all kinds of things that can happen for sure. So, you need luck and you need some real continuity to get that done. And that takes a lot of effort. So, for sure. Where do we all want right. to go from here? Are there any last final thoughts on anything you have from the finals run, uh, upcoming summer things, any idea what might happen tomorrow, anything at all? My only thing is there's a lot of different ways a team can win a title and can do, you know, when you start to get to the top, you're splitting hairs about great experiences. I just think this really was the best one, (laughs) like the best type of one. Like it was with the guys that you're rooting for the most, the Jokic's, the Murray's, the Michael Porter's, you know, the same coach, all that continuity. And it's just so rare that you get this. I always hoped the Nuggets would win one during the Jokic era. I wasn't always confident they would. But you kind of got a sense that they would, you know, maybe there's going to be a coaching change here. And, you know, maybe you have to make a Murray move. Just something was going to have to happen major in a way that really made it sting. And look, Gary, Monte, Barton, those were all guys I loved. And it it sucks that they didn't get to be a part of it. But for the most part, getting to follow a through line that lasted eight years and led us to this point, it's so rare in sports. We might see more championships across our favorite teams here in town, but – to get one that was the way we most wanted it to go, beating the Lakers in a sweep, by the way, the first sweep in franchise history, changing every narrative, literally flipping the deck on every single one and just going one after the other after the other en route to winning this title. It just, it feels like I'm in a simulation. It's going to go down, I think, as one of the all-time great, not I think, it's going to go down as as one of the all-time great Denver teams of all time too, right? Like you're going to look back at, probably the first Broncos championship year under with Elway mm-hmm. and then uh Wah uh Av's first title 
96. Not the first one. The second one was more meaningful, in my opinion. One. Okay. Yeah, because they, they just came over from Canada at that point. Yeah, it was yeah. so new. Yeah, it was I, so new. I, I will ask my wife, um, who is the, <laughs> the expert on all things. Yeah, the heartbreak against the Red Wings and everything else leading into it. Yeah, that was. Yeah. It was and then, uh, and then for, and then, and then this one. Like, I, I just think it's, it's, it's gonna be really rewarding. I think that in NBA history, this will probably be. I will say this from talking to media at the finals, this team is going to be remembered. Well, there may be attempts from TV talking heads. If they, if for, if injury, if luck doesn't go their way um, to move them down, but everyone that covered this team was like, this team's great. Like everyone was like, just from a basketball perspective, watching this team, the, the, the reporters that that joined the beat as it went on, uh, Om Young Masuk, um, Mm -hmm. Tony Jones from the athletic, those guys were all like, this team's great. Like this team is great, and it's going to be remembered as such, which I think is pretty cool. I think another great beat of this, um, and I told him this: converting Tony Jones into a Jokic, the best player in the world, guy. Yep, that's a huge accomplishment. Yep, it's very cool. And and just to see it all, like it this this was something that they talked about back in training camp. Uh, this was something that it, it developed over the course of a long period of time, and, and there were I think the the common phrasing that they were using at that point was "Don't talk about it, be about it." And this team was about it for the periods of time that it mattered. And October and November, not a big deal. March and April, not a big deal from a regular season perspective. But I think everybody that, that was paying attention could see that th- this team was legit during during the times that, that it mattered. And uh, I think it'll probably change how, how people view Nicola, Jamal, Michael Malone, Michael Porter all these guys that they're going to, there's going to change how they are viewed for the rest of time. And, and it's only up from here, folks. I, I really do believe that. By the way, um, somebody all just mentioned it, but the peak championship moment for me in Colorado sports outside of this one's for Pat from John Elway was when Joe Sakic did not raise the cup and gave it to Ray Bork and Ray Bork. I know, but look, but listen, I, the, the reason I did that, the reason I did it is because it seems like he actually saying it is pronounced Sakic, not not Joe. Yeah, back in, you're actually right about this. Yeah. Nobody ever converted, so it just went to Sakic. <laughs> so that's why right. I changed it. It's like it's like the it's like the Jokic thing. Like I'm trying to get it correct, yeah. right? That, so that my soul for like just Nicola. <laughs> like his name has just become Nicola, even though it's, right. it's actually Nicola. Nicola. Right, right. So when remember when he, when Ray Bork raised that trophy and you heard the the crowd go crazy, like that for me is still like one of the best moments of yeah. all time, Colin. Yeah. Actually, you, you were asking last thing. I'm with you, by the way. That was an awesome moment. But one last thing with on um, on all of this. I don't actually know who the biggest winner is. I mean, Jokic going from a not top 75 all-time guy to like the 15th greatest player by most people's rankings, that's pretty big. Murray going from – Zach Lowe said, I've never regretted, not once, including this year, not putting Murray on my ballot for All-Star. Like, don't regret it. To now, oh, is he the 15th best player in the NBA, you know, that rise is huge. Aaron Gordon, by the way, I think he's yeah. going to get all defensive votes next year, mm. which I think he should have all along, but nobody talked about him that way. And then everybody watched this and said, how many defenders could have done what he done? I don't know if any could have. He might have been the best role player defender possible for the matchups that they faced. And then lastly, Michael Malone, who, yes, somebody wanted us to talk about it, so I'll mention it. He did get a tattoo which is the most hilarious. We got like eight comments about it. There's like, go back through the chat. There's like eight comments. <laughs> Everybody about it. wants us to talk about it because it's the funniest thing that's ever happened in Denver sports. It's a true. coach went out and got a tattoo of the Nuggets. Now, I actually think it's the number one cockiest thing he's ever done. 
Number two was when he called out the Rui adjustment, every single media availability between games one and game two, when the Nuggets were only up one game and he just started writing checks, like knowing his team was going to cash him. That was the cockiest thing until he did this. And when you said, Matt, do you see a dynasty? You know, I had heard before the playoffs begun that the Nuggets really wanted the Suns, that the Nuggets were like, that's a matchup we like. And I remember thinking that's a matchup I was worried about. So when they said that, I go, okay, they have a confidence. They must know something I don't, that they have this level of confidence. Michael Malone getting a tattoo like that ups my personal odds of them repeating this like 10%. I'm like, Malone is feeling confident. Bro, wait. So you're, wait, so you're, saying, you're, you're saying Mike Shanahan doesn't have a tattoo of TD doing a salute? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he does like next year, reveals that he actually got two tattoos last year. One of them that says 2024 champs, <laughs> a la Jason Terry. <laughs> Mike Budenholzer got fired after two years of after winning a championship. Same thing yeah. with Frank Vogel. Like that yeah. dude is putting it all on the line. And, and but, like, well, it's, it's so, that's the thing though, I think is, is th- this is a big, because he talked about, he talked about how before the finals wanting to get the other guys back because this moment isn't just about this team. It's about all nuggets. Yeah. Like Malone has, has because there has never, there hasn't been a real steward of nuggets history in the organization. And that's a separate problem we could get into, but like Malone has taken it on himself to like raise the profile of the franchise Mm. of like this team's history because we operate in such a, like everyone does, a superstar in a player-driven space. And coaches care about teams. Like they always care about teams first. And Malone's been in this league for so long. And this one's his. Like he, he may get fired and go somewhere else. And he may go somewhere else and win championships. This one will always be his. Like he will always be, I mean, he'll always be the, the greatest coach yeah. in Nuggets history. Yeah. Like this one is his. It belongs to him. <laughs> Matt, Matt, somebody on Twitter I saw said, uh, He's going to look like Birdman by the time the uh, <laughs> <Yoko> chair ends. <laughs> five more championships and he's just covered. Yeah, somebody else in the chat was talking about him coming into training camp with the Jokic face tattoo, which I thought was <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> get out of here. By the way, y'all, uh, this is another point. Uh, the Celtics and uh, the Clippers are apparently looking at trading for Christoph Porzingis. So uh, that would be uh, very interesting, especially for the Celtics. But – and who we'll cares see. the Denver Nuggets got a title? <laughs> <laughs> but look, this has been a great episode, y'all. First off, I want to say I appreciate y'all even doing this. We This is our fifth episode that we've done this. And um, I don't know, that sounds like good luck. So we definitely need to do this before the season starts. Go, going into the draft, is this our good luck for the draft? Yeah, exactly. Maybe Victor Wimanyama somehow ends up you a Nugget. You are a Denver Nugget. <laughs> <laughs> An accidental fax machine hiccup like in 2012 with the Broncos and oh, Victor yeah. gets into the Nuggets. Um, but, yeah, y'all, y'all are great. Matt, uh, a lot of respect for you. Been a fan of your work for years. Obviously, Adam, man, like been a DNVR fan for years, man. I mean, just great job. Um, and then, obviously, Ryan, you know, I told you, you man, you have a, a, a golden podcast voice. So, man, I appreciate every single one of you. Thanks, you all man. are great. Nuggets great, ASMR with, with Ryan Blackburn. I've, I've, been to- I've been told. I've been told that I put people to sleep at, at night. So that's uh, it's exactly how we're doing it now. Hey, I'm, you know, and look, I, I love I love everything that Swiper does. It's so it's so great. It's a great voice in Nuggets fandom. Yeah, um, he's so important to that community. I can't wait until next. Uh, let's see. When does the season start? It starts in it starts October. It's like five weeks. Yeah. But yeah. Weeks, yeah, it's six. So there's four. I gotta wait four months until the next complaint from him about Jeff Green. So I'm waiting <laughs> yeah. that moment to be exciting. 
That's just going to be a preseason, bro. <laughs> no, he's going to be a great Udonis Haslam for the Denver Nuggets. I can't wait. So, yeah, y'all, this has been great. Y'all, this is y'all are the best fan base in the NBA. No problem, man. Like, appreciate y'all support. Y'all support Locked On. Y'all support DMVR. Y'all support Mile High Sports. Y'all support Swiper with this digital camera that I have and this terrible microphone half the time. Like, y'all are mad loyal. So, obviously, we, we appreciate y'all from the start of the Nuggets era with Michael Malone and Jokic to now. So, this is great. Shout out to Serbia, apparently having the greatest <laughs> run of all time. So, it's been great. We love it, man. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, really appreciate all the love. And just make sure to support all the channels on this one that, that are putting this one out. We're doing a lot, a lot of coverage. Like the, the, the grind never stops, folks. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep it going for the draft and, and free agency and hopefully get out of here at some point after that. Lockdown Nuggets will be back on Thursday morning previewing the NBA draft for you guys as well as the latest in free agency talk. And then uh, I'll have a post-game or post-draft show talking about whatever they do with that pick. Uh, solo, and then Adam and I'll be back on Friday morning to break it down together. Show Thanks, y'all. Guys. See y'all later. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.